Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning. Scott Luton, Greg White with you here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream. Gregory, how are we doing? Doing quite well, Scott. Happy New Year. How are you doing? Happy New Year to you and your family as well, Greg. And you're tuned in from a new locale. You want to give up the goods or you want to keep it under the <laughs> under wraps? Suffice it to say, I can see the Atlantic Ocean from where I am. So, <laughs> Love it. I love yeah, it. And, and not snow. Wow. <laughs> which seems to have uh, come to a few of us in the country recently. It's unbelievable. And, Man, and you know, this weather is crazy. <laughs> it really is. And a little bit of precipitation throws off everyone in the southeast, at least, right? We don't drive in the rain or the snow or cloudy weather or windy conditions. Right. Or <laughs> <laughs> and, and if you uh, – we don't drive – let's face it. But we can back a boat. <laughs> We don't drive well in perfect conditions, right? So much true, less true. with a little bit of precipitation. But hey, today it's all about uh, it's the first supply chain buzz of the new year, right? We're diving to some of the leading yeah. news of the day every Monday, 12 noon Eastern time. Uh, today's show, Greg, we're going to be touching on a few topics that we've already spoken on uh, at several times. Yeah, a couple, right? That's right. Yeah. For the last, uh, I don't know, going back a year, maybe a little more. And, we'll and, call those continuing stories, Scott. <laughs> that's right. Thank you for the the technicality. And and Greg, some of them we've we've touched on once. Some of them, of course, they, they've been a trend. We touch on time and time again. So stay tuned as we dive into some of these uh, revisited topics and buckle up and get ready because we want to hear from you as well, um, Gregory. Uh, let's see here. So, do you know what day it is today? Monday. <laughs> Close, close. Which is, considering as long as I've been at the beach, I think it's pretty good that I know the calendar <laughs> still. <laughs> so beyond those things, uh, it's beach day, I guess. It is uh, Monday, as you say. It's a couple of days beyond the new year. But today is also Women Rock Day. Now, would you have any guess, picture kind of gives it away, but any guess why January 3rd is Women Rock Day here in the States? Uh, is it a certain somebody's birthday? Gladys Knight? Close. No? Close. Oh. That's a special occasion. Okay. But January 3rd, 1987, Aretha oh. Franklin became the first woman inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's right. Can you believe 1987 that? 1987 was the first woman? Wow. is unbelievable? Well, that's fantastic, of course. And most deserved. Seems like it should have happened a minute before right. that. So, so happy Women Rock Day yeah, across the yeah. states. So, just to be clear, yeah, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is in Cleveland. That's right. So, on January third, people gathered in Cleveland. Enough said. They yes. gathered in Cleveland. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I mean, for something other than football, right? Uh, right. Or to celebrate Paul Noble's uh, hometown, right? And Paul yeah. from Cleveland. Paul is from Cleveland. Yeah. A long suffering yeah. Cleveland Browns fan. But well, hey, we'll save I have that. I to confess, I don't know how they did yesterday. He 
he texted me during the day. I'm sure he was hoping that we would do our part to help them out. Chiefs did not. <laughs> well, did not come through for you, Paul. I'm sorry. <laughs> We're going to have to have our uh, playoff uh, preview for the NFL in an upcoming live stream. Yeah, it's just around the corner. Nerds, talk yes. sports playoff edition, right? Yeah, and it's just around the corner. Playoffs will begin what in a couple weeks? Fifteen. Not, not that I'm counting, Scott, but uh, yes. <laughs> well, that would be neat. So just after after the national championship game on January 10th when Georgia and Alabama play for the national championship. <laughs> I can tell you're a bit of a Georgia, Georgia fan, uh, at least in that I'm game. Completely sold out, yes. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure there are a ton of people just – so happy that the SEC has got the final two teams yet again, right? <laughs> well, uh, we're hoping in this household here that uh, Clemson can can uh, get back to its winning ways of the previous six or seven years. Uh, they had a, they had a bit of you know when, when you go on a run, you know people take notice. You know you win a couple natties. Well, folks want your coaches, and uh, Coach mm-hmm. Dabo Sweeney has got his work cut out for him as he rebuilds the program of the roster and the coaching staff. He's done a lot of that already. We'll see how the next couple of days, a couple uh, years ago, but we thought news on that front is the ACC is wide open. <laughs> Thank you. Greg. Right. So uh, I promise y'all it's not the football show today. Uh, just a lot. Of, it's, it's that time of year, right? A lot of football yep. is playoff. Uh, there's uh, college football with, with the college playoff that just uh, kicked off its first two games got the national championship game right around the corner uh, here in the States. You got NFL turning the corner, coming down the home stretch, getting ready for its playoff. Of course, Greg White, big, huge, massive Kansas City Chiefs fan. So it's the time of year to shine. So we'll see how all the the playoffs come together. But, Greg, let's say hello to a few folks that are tuned in. Let's do. And then we're going to share a couple of program notes before we get into the stories for today. Josh Goody was the first one. He was on time. Uh, logging into the stream today. So good morning to you. Happy New Year. And Josh, remind us where you're tuned in from there via uh, LinkedIn. Roger Carr is tuned in via LinkedIn. Can you go back on that? I just want to see, is that an Arsenal flag there? (laughs) No. Okay. Just double checking. uh, You know, let's ask him, Josh, what is over your left shoulder? Let's go Spurs. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, Roger, great to have you here tuned in via LinkedIn. Tell us where you're, uh, you're watching us from. Kavan is back. Greg, Kavan has been on fire a bit on social media. Have you, have you been checking out some of his POV here lately? Yeah, well, I know he, he continues to progress, right, through his Ph.D. Um, program. And uh, I have to confess, I haven't in the last week been very social so folks not anti-social but not very social media (laughs) you got to look up kavan on linkedin in particular and connect and follow him there so kavan great to have you back t squared holding down the fort force on youtube uh happy near folks he says bring on the nourishment he's coming it's right around the corner t squared so get ready uh josh let's see so josh is two feet yes wow so Yemez, I think that's Yemez Springs, New Mexico, right? Yep. Yep. So that's that's where two he is now. But Josh says two feet of snow overnight in his hometown. Greg, do you think that's maybe a different location? 
Does New Mexico get know. snow? I mean, it, uh, yeah, Santa Fe gets snow. There are actually ski resorts in the northern part of the state. Okay. Heading up there towards uh, Durango. Gotcha. Colorado, that Four Corners, well, not the Four Corners area, but up there in the northern part of both New Mexico and Arizona, you can go skiing. Okay. Well, crazy, right? Crazy, crazy to think that. <laughs> it really is. I've just been confirmed by uh, a producer that New Mexico is his hometown. So, so that's uh, where he's talking about. Uh, so, Josh, we'd love to see some pictures of all that snow. Jason is in D.C. and it is swamped. Yeah, ten inches of snow in D.C. Man, hey, whatever keeps the politicians home, I'm all for it. Right? Sorry, did I say that out loud? <laughs> Roger says tonight is a game. So, who's playing on Monday Night Football tonight, Roger? Greg, do you know? I don't know. I should. I, I, I'm embarrassed to say that I don't. I'll, I'll look. Yes. So Roger must be a fan of either the Steelers. Is it Steelers and the Browns? No. Steel. Oh, is that tonight? I think that is. The Cleveland wow. Browns at the Pittsburgh Steelers. So Roger, yep. let us know Ooh. which one of those teams is uh, you're a big fan of. Mervin. So Mervin's back with us via LinkedIn now. Greg. Mervin got yep. just recently got a new role. So congratulations, uh, Mervin, yeah. to what you're up to next. Yeah. Uh, I saw something from him. Uh, oh, I did see something from him over the weekend. Yeah. So. Uh, is it Sajit? You think? It looks good. Sajit, <laughs> so, hopefully we got that right. Uh, he is with Pickstock, it appears, tuned in via LinkedIn. Uh, happy New Year to you as well. Great to have you here. Clay is tuned in. Got here just in time. Go dogs. He's one of the two dogs you were talking about, Greg, right? Uh, three, if you count Clay, yes. <laughs> My youngest uh, will be starting at Georgia in just hours. That is right. I so, forgot about that. I yeah. forgot about that. Well, um, right. But they were at the game. Clay and Delaney both went to the game. And, uh, wow. <laughs> What a game to go to at Georgia in Miami. First of all, in Miami. And that was one of the most dominating exhibitions of football. I think we've and over a great team. Those were two outstanding defenses. Agreed. So. Agreed. Clay, great to have you here. Uh, Adelise tuned in via LinkedIn. Great to see you here as well. Looking forward to your POV. Michael Avery is back with us. Uh, let's see here. Stacy is tuned in. Great to have you back with us, Stacy. Natalie, Bob is back with us uh, via LinkedIn. Happy New Year to you as well, uh, Natalie. Daria Patel uh, says hello, Supply Chain Now community, and Happy New Year, Daria. Hopefully, you're enjoying Atlanta. We've got to hook up at some point soon. Yeah. Tempest is tuned in. You know, she she was with us. Uh, I want to say a few weeks back. Um, she's back via LinkedIn. Great to see you, Farshad, uh, Corey. Constantine. Whoa, whoa. That should I go back a bit? Okay, here we go. What's that? Oh yeah. <laughs> so I, I've, n I've probably not told the story of having actually having to cease interacting with a business, a fellow business person, because he was a gunner, and uh, and I'm a I'm a Tottenham fan, so. We could not be polite to one another. I, I mean, it was absolutely childish. So, <laughs> Well, unfortunately, Constantine, who is also watching over the wine supply chain for us. So thank you, Constantine. Yes. 
he is evidently a Gunners fan from as well. From this point forward, anything I receive from Constantine, <laughs> I will check for poison. <laughs> Constantine Lumbaracus, hopefully this finds you well. Happy New Year to you and your family. And Roger finally is tuned in oh. via Greenville, South Carolina, the Greenville. upstate. Yep. Okay. Uh, sorry we couldn't get everybody. Folks, stay tuned. We've got a, a big show coming up, and we want to get your take on the stories that we walk uh, everyone through here. So, Greg, yeah. really quick, I'm going to hit these webinars we've got coming up quickly. Uh, January 13th, folks, Greg and I are joined by Daniel and David. Uh, Daniel's with Optimus. David's with Tools Group. We're talking about uncertainty, right? Practical strategies for adapting to demand and supply uncertainty, which will certainly continue throughout 2022. Join us at 3 p.m., Special time, 3 p.m. Eastern time on January 13th. And the easiest way to do that is to go to supplychainnow.com or uh, if Amanda or Clay or Jada will drop that link for both of these in the show notes and we'll get you signed up for that. And then Greg, Jeremy Bodenhammer is back with us. Adapt yep. or die, your survival guide to modern warehouse automation. Uh, that's coming up on January 18th at 12 noon. And Greg, there's no shortage of innovation and investment taking place in the warehouse warehouse automation space, right? Yeah, absolute necessity. I mean, we've discovered that over the last couple of years, people don't want those jobs. And uh, there have been a lot of companies getting into e-commerce or some version of it. And um, speed and accuracy are absolutely paramount right now. So it, it's a it's a hot topic for a very, very good reason. Agreed. So, folks, join us January 18th, 2022, where Jeremy and I will talk about a lot more about warehouse automation. And uh, Amanda has just reminded me the links for both of these webinars are already in the show notes. So, y'all check that out there. And it's really easy to join us for our are we registration. In for asking. Yes, I might be. We might be in trouble. <laughs> Seven demerits already. Uh, and we're only 14 minutes in. But, uh, and it's free to join us on those webinars too. Um, okay, so Amanda says, get it together. Get it together, Scott. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Constantine says, bring it, Greg. That's a challenge. <laughs> uh, All right. <laughs> North, North London Derby. Here <laughs> we go. Nikhil, great to have you back. Uh, let's see here. Kevin Bale uh, is back Whoa. with us. Now, good While shoveling snow. Right. In Virginia. Think about that. <laughs> I'm shoveling snow in Virginia. Ooh. That you just, should never have to say that sentence. That just ever. sounds painful and tiresome, Does. doesn't it? Uh, Matus says, I still get confused when you say football and you don't mean soccer, Greg. <laughs> right. We'll say soccer when we mean soccer. That's Sorry. Right. It's, a, it's a defect of Americans. It is. It is. And evidently, you've got a, a oh my God, Crimson Tide. And a Tide fan. <laughs> I think he's doing that on purpose. Right. And for folks listening, <laughs> Jason T. Hopkins is a big Alabama Crimson Tide fan. Okay. So, Greg, let's see here. We got to get into – we got to do some work here today, right? I suppose so. We probably ought to. All right. So, let's get into our first story here. And this, is gonna, it's, this isn't going to surprise anybody, but it's one of our favorite stories that can, to continue talking yep. about. So, surprise, surprise, there's a ton of investment interest in supply chain. So a great read here by the very talented Jennifer Smith. And if you don't follow Jennifer Smith on Twitter and LinkedIn and whatnot, you're missing out. She's a uh, very talented uh, analyst and, and journalist. Uh, she's with the Wall Street Journal. Supply chain tech startups, get this, Greg, 
raised a whopping $24.3 billion in venture funding for just the first three quarters of 2021. That's almost 60% more than what 2020 brought in in funding in the full year. Right. Uh, the article talks about ShipBob and Flock Freight. Those are two uh, unicorns, right, that have been benefiting from the movement, just, just, just two, plenty others. They also talk about our good old friends at Stored, which is based here in Atlanta, which we've had on the show a couple of times. They right. raised a $90 million Series D round, which Greg put the valuation of the company at $1.1 billion. All right, so Greg, this is one of your – you're an expert in this, in, in, in all these um, fundraising and, and growing companies and whatnot. This is right up your alley. What, what, where does your head go when you see just how popular supply chain technology is right now? It's about damn time. <laughs> That's our first response, honestly. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, of course it's popular now because we've seen the impact of um, frailties, right? Fragilities in the supply chain. And these are companies that are attempting to enable a much more stable, sustainable, um, and, and uh, efficient supply chain. So right. uh, a lot of money is going in. and and. Um, valuations are going up as well. I, and that article talks about a 41% increase in um, valuations from basically the same time uh, of the study a year before. So, um, the, you know, finally, truly, finally, companies in the industry are being recognized for the value that they present and produce. Um, and they're getting money at valuations that, you know, that make sense. So we we had a little bit of a, early start, you know, um, Flexport got some good money from SoftBank and other companies. I believe one of those two companies has also got uh, money from SoftBank. And, um, and you know, now some of the really big investors that recognize future values and value companies based on that, Tiger Global and SoftBank and others, um, are, are starting to put their money in um, recognizing that. And that's because there is so much opportunity for improvement. And, and the old guard is kind of held back by the science and technology that they've used to date. They've really kind of hit the ceiling. So you really have to invest in these new companies. So I love that's, that. That's what we're really starting to see is that sort of shift to this new science and new technology uh, in supply chain. And the funding is flooding in as you know, some other companies we might know of have been beneficiaries of that <laughs> in and 2021. About dang time, as you put it. Yeah, and I love right. that, uh, Greg. Um, but I've got one other big question for you sure. and all the folks in the cheap seats. Y'all let me know just who is responsible for putting the hyphen in supply chain. When did that become a thing? It, it, well, the Wall Street Journal they don't know any better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you know, that's, it's funny you say that because every time I use fill rate, I use a hyphen or, oh gosh, there's another supply chain term that I use a hyphen in. And I think early on, I may have used a hyphen in supply chain, but that would have had to have been, let's just say more than two decades ago, right. Scott. <laughs> well, 
hyphen or no hyphen, it is a hot, uh, hot, hot industry yeah. and, and deservingly so. They've, they've, you know, supply chains made it happen forever. And now we're trying to, you know, make it happen on a, in a much smarter, more sustainable, more effective and efficient manner. Right. And yep. it's, you know, it's a competitive advantage for any company out there right now. So it's really cool to see the level of investment. Um, I'm going to take a couple quick comments here. Uh, let's see. Josh is going back to the, the soccer or, or the uh, football rivalry and is saying that that is more intense now than Red Sox and Yankees. Greg, Tottenham and, and the Gunners, is that more um, pretty fierce? I would rather have a battery thrown at me, which is what usually happens at Red Sox and Yankees games, than what I've had thrown at me at Arsenal games. Yeah. Well, um, well may they all be the roundhouse left, which <laughs> you know you got to got to practice how to block that before you get get to the game. Well, may they all be triple A's yeah. and not nine volts or or worse D D batteries, yeah, D batteries, <laughs> car batteries, and also may you never have a handrail fall off the stadium and almost crush one of your players. I couldn't believe in the Philadelphia game yesterday that happened to to um, uh, Hertz. What's his first name? Uh, Jalen. J- yeah, Jalen Hertz. The whole the handrail and about five or six fans fell right off. Uh, you know those tunnels that the players go in. I don't know if yeah. you saw it. Great, the whole thing fell off, and they're on no. the on the the uh, tarp. Ooh. No, Everybody thankfully, okay? yeah, thankfully no one got hurt. So uh, hopefully, so that- at Premier League games, there's especially at derbies, there's a cage over the first okay. ten or fifteen rows, so that they can't throw beer bottles and other projectiles onto the field. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean it's. For real. Those are serious rivalries. They're not <laughs> called hooligans for no reason. Sand Japan. They, they are not called hooligans. <laughs> right. Sand Japan, hope this finds you well. Happy New Year to you as well. Thanks for joining us here via uh, LinkedIn. Let's see here. Matus, I like how you think. Global reach of supply chain now. I'm with you. It's important. And that's one of our favorite aspects of, of our ecosystem. Yeah. You got folks tuned in from everywhere, every part of the globe. Um, Sylvia is giving us a M&A update from South Carolina. She says, Sunoco Hartsville, which is just outside of Florence and you know, kind of just down south of the uh, South Carolina-North Carolina border, is purchasing Ball, my favorite, canning jars, she says. Mason jars. Mason yeah. jars. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Sylvia, of course, is the queen of jelly and jam making. Is that right, Greg? In- indeed. Verifiably the queen. <laughs> Verifiably. <Yeah. laughs> Uh, let's see here. Peter must also be a fellow uh, Tottenham uh, fan. There we go. And yeah. let's see here. Two of the quick comments. Michael says, uh, back to su- supply chain investment. He says, we're in extreme growth phase right now. People and organizations are lining up to invest. Consolidation phase will be interesting to follow going forward. Quick commentary, Greg. Yeah, it's happening. I mean, it, it's happening already. Um, you know, my company was bought by a private equity group that intends to combine it with other technologies. And um, and to that point, on another investment front, a lot of the big hedge funds that invest usually very heavily in stocks um, and, you know, in other equity type positions, they made, many of them made most of their money or wouldn't have made money if they hadn't invested in the private equity that is driving up the valuations and driving uh, money into this into technology investment in general, but specifically in the supply chain. So there is more to come. And yes, I think 
for a lot of these companies, the old guard are going to have to buy their way to technological advancement because so many of them on old on-premise systems, I mean, SAP confessed this over a year ago, um, Oracle has put a huge bet on NetSuite. Other companies have confessed that if they're going to get to new technology, new capabilities and supply chain, they're going to have to do it by acquisition. Yep. I'm with you there. Uh, Demo is back with us. Demo, happy new year to you. All the best. Let's know where Demo is. Guarantee it. (laughs) Uh, Sylvia does not do hyphen in supply chain. I'm with you. Steven says it is about time. Investors are finally realizing the consumer knows there are quality standards placed in products and services. Those are expectations. Today, the consumer is concerned about the when. When will it be there? When will it be delivered? And at what cost? It's a good point, isn't it, Greg? Well, you know what I say. The consumer is the beginning and the end of the supply chain. That's right. And everything, everything we do is just to get product to the consumer. Yep. Jason, uh, a new hashtag, supply chain education. Well, hopefully we're part of everyone's supply chain education. We enjoy the comments and perspectives here on The Buzz. Uh, Sylvia says, useless trivia. And by the way, tomorrow, folks, is National Trivia Day. More more to come a little later. But Sylvia, Really? <laughs> yeah. Trivial I like knowledge. Women Rock Day better. <laughs> I do too. Say. I do too. Sylvia says, uh, let's see here. Useless trivia. There is. The hyphen in German is Bindestrick. Okay. Is that? Um, that must be how you say it. I've never actually heard the word before, but that must be the word for hyphen in ah, German. Okay. Gotcha. Sylvia, yeah. to, uh, uh, let us know if we're getting that wrong. Uh, help, us, help us learn the German language. Huh? Brandon is tuned in via LinkedIn from Wilmington, North Carolina. Brandon, Ooh, I hope this it, man, that's kind of right on the edge. I wonder what it's like in Wilmington. Beautiful, usually. Um, right on the coast. Agreed. So. Agreed. Wallace says uh, via LinkedIn, investing in people or workers or technology only. Excellent points. So a lot of this technology is enablement for people or it's technology that's required in lieu of people, much like we were talking about with Shiphawk because people don't want so many of the, the 3D jobs that are in, in supply chain, dark, dirty, and dangerous, or at least they perceive them that way. Fewer people are taking those jobs and more technology is required to get those jobs executed. We're seeing it in picking and put away, um, you know, and in various jobs, particularly in the warehouse, but also in manufacturing. We talk about a topic we've talked about a lot, Scott. Yes. Is the great dearth of of candidates for the great wealth of jobs in right. manufacturing. That's right. That's right. Um, so appreciate that comment there, Wallace. I want to go down. Santa Pan uh, sees a supply chain startup located in Ottawa. We recently raised our seed round. He says, that's wonderful news. Congrats. Yeah. Uh, Santa Pan. Uh, Kevin talked about working on several corporate transactions at AGG this year. I bet. Diligence on supply chain, Kevin says, was much more rigorous and thoughtful than two years ago. Yeah, I agree with you, Greg. Huh? Big deal. You know what I say to that? About damn time. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, I think that is the underpinning that so many people have missed. They hit the top line items, right? How are sales and the bottom line items? How are profits? What they don't hit is how are the enablement, enabling factors 
within these companies. And, um, you know, the ability to execute is critical. And I just think we have thought we have taken supply chain for granted for far too long. So we'll see more of that. That's right. Um, all right. So I, I, I love all the comments. Keep them coming, folks. We've got a couple more stories to walk through. Sylvia says we're we're spot on for the the hyphen, the German name for for the hyphen. Um, I'm going to pose one question to you, Greg. This comes from Nikhil. And then we got to move on for the sake of time. Nikhil's asking okay. some great questions, and I couldn't get to the first one. Uh, Nikhil says, any thoughts on how supply chain system integrators should be improving their valuations for investors to be interested? Should system integ- uh, integrators build intellectual property or just continue and scale services? That's an excellent question, Greg. Your thoughts? So um, my technology company started as a system integrator, and I can tell you that in 20 plus years, the valuation of system integrators has been a singular point, and that is one X of revenue. And I think it will continue to be that because scalability is difficult as you reach um, the capacity of the humans that do the work for integration. I think what I had, what what I was fortunate enough to be able to do, and what I've seen a few other people be able to do, but it's exceedingly difficult, is build intellectual property. I would suggest you build it as a separate organization. Um, build intellectual property as long as it is unique and has a defensible moat, um, and become a tech company if you want real valuation. Because I don't think the valuations of services companies, except for the biggest of the big. Um, is going to be more than one X. So, you know, you've got to decide if you want to be in the services business or if you want to be in the technology business, frankly. I mean, only big companies like Accenture, whose stock is exploding, has exploded over 2021. They have technology. They build infrastructure. They build intellectual property. But that is effectively a separate division, and they're and they're big enough to differentiate that and get valuation based on that. I just don't think it's practical practical for a small company to do that. Awesome. Happy to talk more about that too, by the way, if you want. Yeah, Nikhil, reach out. Uh, and Greg, I appreciate you sharing your thoughts. Great, outstanding questions. Uh, one quick comment. Gene Pledger from North Alabama is tuned in. I bet he is very happy uh, after last week. Uh, or frankly, yeah. Greg, after the last, I don't know, 15 years. Uh, <laughs> damn it, you know? Yes. It's remarkable. Yeah. But, uh, Gene, hope this finds you well. Great to have you here today. Okay. Yes. So Greg, happy that you're happy, Gene. I'm <laughs> only hope for one night of unhappiness right. for you ever in your life. Oh gosh. Uh, okay. So we got to move on. We got three more stories that we want to talk through here, Greg. Yeah. And this next one, um, this also isn't the first time we're talking about this, right? So more news right. on Walmart's project Gigaton. This time focused on supplier financing, as reported by our friends at GreenBiz. So Project Gigaton's goal, you've probably heard of that, is to avoid 1 billion tons of greenhouse gas emissions by 2030, right? Just eight years away. Walmart has partnered, in this case, with HSBC and CDP to offer up financing for Walmart suppliers if, big if, the suppliers agree to set validated targets for emissions reductions and if the suppliers are able to hit certain ESG performance targets that are to be reported to CDP. Now, we, uh, we mentioned a slew of acronyms there. Let me just level set with folks. So, of course, HSBC is the big bank. Uh, ESG, 
environmental, societal, and governments. Uh, more folks should know about that than ever before, perhaps. And then CDP is a not-for-profit that runs global disclosure system, uh, a global right. disclosure system for investors and companies, governments, you name it, on environmental performance. And that's important, Greg, as you know, as we've talked about, because that continues to be more of a priority for investors these days. And, and it's tough to get you know, really good reporting, uh, transparent reporting on what companies are really doing. So back to Walmart, suppliers that qualify can get access to funding, not just the funding itself, but get it at preferred rates, you know, kind of leveraging Walmart's wherewithal there. So there's a lot, there's a lot to this story. Of course, it's a big old massive uh, supply chain that Walmart runs. But Greg, what's, what are some of your thoughts here? Well, so first of all, thank you to Walmart's suppliers, small, particularly small business suppliers who um, are embracing this initiative. Look, this is meant to be a, big pat on the back to HSBC and Walmart, but let's define, let's dig just a little bit deeper because uh, I I did a summary on an article about three weeks back. Right. um, And this is, this is all about the science and supporting the science, but it glosses over one key fact. And that is, this is financing for suppliers based on invoices they've They've issued to Walmart for goods that they have supplied to Walmart that Walmart has not and does not pay them in a timely fashion for. So basically what Walmart has done, rather than create a more efficient methodology for paying these suppliers, is they've set up loans that that their vendors can get for the money that they're owed by Walmart from HSBC. And if they do, which it has always been in place because these companies need the money far before Walmart wants will to pay, pay them. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and what, what they've done is HSBC is lower, is providing a lower interest rate on the money that they borrow from HSBC until Walmart pays them for the goods that they provided to Walmart. So that's probably a really confusing way of saying Walmart refuses to pay these companies in in a reasonable amount of time, judged as judged by those suppliers. Those suppliers then have to borrow money at an interest rate from HSBC, only against an invoice that they are owed money on by Walmart. And then Walmart eventually pays them, and that effectively pays off the loan that they've taken out. So they're borrowing money for money that they are owed by Walmart, effectively. So it's not like they're giving them additional funding or they're seeking out additional funding. Um, And what this really means is that Walmart has probably given back or or forgiven some portion of the interest rate that they most definitely take in the usual case for financing their uh, payables. And HSBC is probably getting a bigger piece of of the interest, still getting their piece to make it worthwhile to do these loans. And Walmart is just taking less of the interest there. But this is not an altruistic venture by Walmart by any stretch. Right. It is a a motivation for these suppliers who, by the way, reduced reduced, uh, um, carbon footprint by, what is it, 168 uh, million megatons. Mm. Uh, um, sorry, megatons, 186 megatons in 2020. So, so 
that's how effective the suppliers are being now. Walmart, instead of paying these companies on time, which they could simply do, or paying them without requiring funding from a bank, they're at least cutting the interest rate. So Walmart makes less money off the money they owe to their vendors. <laughs> so I feel like uh, you've just removed the green curtain from <laughs> from the mad scientist behind it that's doing putting all these right. programs together. But what also this reminds me of on a somewhat related note, somewhat is what we call the PPP around here, the procurement platform purgatory that the last 18 months has brought, uh, you know, yeah. Greg, we've, we've chatted about this mainly offline previously, you know, everyone's got a, a procurement platform and then, a platform to that platform, platform to that that platform. A lot of them don't talk, <laughs> and, and what it what it does, unfortunately, in, in many cases, is it adds time to when invoices get paid, whether they're uh, not do, uh, whether they're due, overdue, it doesn't matter. And I can appreciate how far we've come, but we've got some more fine tuning. Oftentimes, I think, uh, especially to make it easy on on uh, small and mid sized businesses. We'll see. You're very kind and diplomatic, Scott. I've been a retailer and I know that this is intentional. It is intentional to do what's calling called dragging your vendors, where if if you agree to 30 day terms, you drag you have a usually a standard policy whereby you drag them an extra 10 or 15 days because as a big, big company, as a multi-billion dollar company, you can make tens of millions of dollars on the interest on that money over the course of the year. And where is the vendor going to go? I mean, especially Walmart, they have the ultimate hammer, the largest company in the world, right? <laughs> Everybody wants to do business with them and they are literally paying to do business with them. Wow. Because Walmart um, has this policy where they drag them. Now they give them the opportunity to get their money, but they have to pay Walmart and this bank a little bit of interest to, to get their money out of the company in a timely fashion. So it's not altruistic in right. any measure, and it is unfortunately commonly, it is commonly in the retail trade, uh, intentional. So, and I and I appreciate. Yes, I'm too diplomatic sometimes, but I gotta think. I gotta think. There's a reckoning around the corner to some of these practices, just because the thumb is on these companies' heads so bad. Um, but we'll see. We'll no. see. No, because I mean, well, I mean, this article is a great example of this. This article completely glosses over the fact that the that these are loans against money owed to these companies. They make it sound, and you know, even we, as we describe this, make it sound like it's funding for these companies right. to allow them to do these green initiatives. It's not that at all. It's the money it's they're simply owed. allowing them to get their money, their own money, back from from Walmart at a lower interest rate than they usually pay to Walmart to, to be able to, and they hope that they use that tiny fraction of interest <laughs> right. that they're not paying to Walmart on green initiatives. That's unbelievable. So, and yet, but you know, here's, look, here's the upside of this is despite the, whatever you want to call it, the big business aspect of what all Walmart is doing and, and the fact that they've got the PR machine that makes it look like an altruistic venture, Right. Those companies have, as I said before, they have contributed a hundred or, or reduced 186 million megatons of, of emissions, MMT, right? Um, and they continue to do that. So thank you, 
for the gigaton initiative. I don't want to thank Walmart. I want to thank their suppliers. That's, ba- who that's are doing powering it. it. All right. And paying for the right to do that. Wow. So thank you to all you businesses out there <laughs> who are helping Walmart get good press from this gigaton initiative. That's, that is excellent analysis there, uh, especially for the price, Greg. Uh, and folks, if y'all don't like it, uh, money back guarantee here today on the yeah. buzz. Anthony, you yeah. raised some great questions. And, and again, uh, I don't know, and, and I haven't seen any reporting on this, but Anthony says, how effective are these science-based targets and how can these targets affect the business in the nearest future, Greg? Yeah, listening. so that's what this CBD, CDB initiative is all about. So they right. have built these science-based targets that they can confirm are are uh, accretive to the benefit of, of the environment. So that third-party um validation assures that they are actually meaningful uh targets and accomplishments so that's a that's a good thing that is a good thing right that's because that's going to shine and 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 uh beyond the walmarts of the world i love the cdp's mission not for profit mission and i I haven't dove into their financials to see overhead and all that stuff but i love the spirit of it because we do need more transparency um uh when it comes to what folks are reporting in, in terms of their ESG initiative. So I look forward to seeing how CDP continues to grow and add more value to its offering. Um, Sylvia says, I drove past the new Walmart DC in Ridgeville, South Carolina on Saturday. I sure hope they stick to their goals on a carbon neutral footprint by 2030. Uh, Matu says Walmart should pay the interest. Like that's ever going to happen. <laughs> I'm liking this guy more and more every time he posts. Right. He is dead on there. It's not going to happen. Right. But they'll continue to take credit for it. But the fact is their vendors are are responding. So good on them. Uh, let's see, Mark. Hey, Mark, hope this finds you well, my friend. Uh, great insight. Cash flow whiplash, he says. <laughs> Uh, so true. Michael says stretch payment out for better cash conversion cycles. The longer a major company can hold on to money, the more interest they earn to your point, Greg. Uh, and then finally, he also says green seal started out in supply chain finance before they ran into issues earlier last year. Now there is a, uh, a void and other institutes can capitalize. Hey, we'll see. We shall see. Um, but Greg, I loved your take there. And one of the reasons I chose that story is because, of course, I enjoyed your uh, your take on that a couple weeks ago when you kind of you deconstructed it on one of your uh, three or four uh, LinkedIn posts that you put out each week. Um, well, all right. I have to confess, the only reason I know so much about it is I was part of a company where that was specifically our policy. Hey, I got an idea. We'll continue to drag them and then we'll employ a bank that that funds that, that gives them a loan against what we owe them. And we get a piece of the interest that we aren't paying, paying them their bill for. So (laughs) we're getting the inside goods, folks, uh, getting the inside goods. So probably more than people want to (laughs) know. That's right. I don't know. More than I want to confess to. There you go. I I am reformed and have been for (laughs) over two decades. (laughs) All right. So moving right along today in a, in a jam packed version of the supply chain buzz, Story number three, Tesla says, oh, big deal to supply chain challenges while it blows out its uh, fourth quarter numbers, blows them out of the water. Uh, in yeah. this read via Reuters, I can't, I'm looking forward to Greg's 
take here. Uh, Tesla reports record deliveries uh, for fourth quarter. That's the sixth straight quarter that the company has set delivery records. Now, the company delivered over 300,000 vehicles, which surpassed the, the roughly 263,000 total uh, forecasted uh, set by analyst expectations. So how do they do that? Well, Greg, they ramped up China production. That's not not innovative. Uh, that's been happening everywhere, it seems like. But those cars mm-hmm. that Tesla makes in China mainly serve European and Asian Tesla markets to get around the computer chip shortages, which, of course, is one of the big challenges impacting automotive for quite some time. A couple points here. Unlike just about every other automaker back in 2020, Tesla was one of the only, very certainly the very few, that never stopped ordering those chips. We've talked about that right. time and time again. Uh, They also have chosen to design many of their chips in-house, which we're starting to see some of the other big players just start to do. I think we talked about Ford and Chevrolet in in the last month or two launching programs to do that. And Tesla also, again, talking computer chips, they reprogram software to avoid using as many of the really complex and scarce uh, chips out there. So more China production and a, a... old and new and uh, refined approach when it comes to uh, computer chip shortages. So how does 2022 look? I'm going to try to say this this name here, Greg, and, and you'll correct me when I get it wrong. Deutsche Bank? <laughs> Deutsche, is that how it's pronounced? Deutsche Bank. Thank Deutsche you. Bank, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, those folks, those smart folks. Sylvia will check us both on that. <laughs> right. They're expecting Tesla. Bank to, of Germany. <laughs> they're expecting Tesla, Deutsche Bank to deliver 1.5 million vehicles in 2022, which would be considerable right. growth because uh, they reported about 936,000 vehicles, Tesla vehicles delivered in 2021. So Greg, yeah. all of that to say, what say you about what Tesla's doing? I'm, I'm most impressed by Tesla, not which I did not know, not canceling production and POs to their um, you know, to their chip manufacturers, right? Right. I mean, Scott, when this all happened, we all acknowledged that that is what had hurt the, at least as we know, the U.S. domestic um, automotive producers because they canceled POs, and the the semiconductor companies said we will gladly, gladly start producing semiconductors as soon as you issue a PO. Right. And they all said, "Nah, you go ahead and produce." We'll let you know when we want some. <laughs> Tesla maintained a credible business relationship. Um, they maintained their uh, their responsibilities and their accountabilities to their suppliers, and that's commendable. Um, say what you will about about Elon Musk, um, but I mean that that was a smart move by whoever made that decision, and also reprogramming to to use. Um, let the the less volatile of the chips right and doing some other things within the organization more automotive makers need to think like tesla and you know delivery which is is the numbers that we're talking about right delivery of vehicles that has been a huge issue for tesla from the outset for them to have overcome it but not only to have overcome it but to have overcome it during a time of exceptional supply chain difficulty and 
and exceptional disruption of the automotive market, it's highly commendable. Yeah, um, it is really very truly impressive. Um, I think it will be a great model for other automakers to you know to um, lean into. Frankly, agreed. Um, fascinating business study and to project, and we'll see if, uh, as Sylvia says, we pronounce the T, Deutsche Bank. Deutsche Bank. Deutsche. 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 Deutsche, Deutsche Bank. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so those smart folks uh, to to project another 50% growth in new model delivery uh, in, in 2022, which is going to have, you know, we're projecting uh, chip challenges into 2023. I mean, it continued to, to be pushed back. Um, so we'll see if they can make hit that mark uh, or surpass it as we get through uh, the year that is the new year. Okay. Well, you may not know this, Scott, but the Germans are not prone to fanciful projections. <laughs> I'm sure there is a 40-page calculation behind this that has gotten Deutsche Bank to the point of saying 1.5 million vehicles. Right? I love it. You must produce <laughs> 1.5 million vehicles. <laughs> love it. Uh, let's see here. Bill. Hey, Bill. Great to have you here today via LinkedIn. He says, uh, Elon seems to understand risk-reward trade-offs for critical decisions ahead of time. Greg? He understands the new world of risk-reward trade-offs. Unquestionably, the automakers are still living in the past when they could bully suppliers and when they you know, could uh, make markets. Walmart, it is one of those companies that's still able to get away with that, right? But it won't always be that way um, for any company. It's probably a long time coming for Walmart, but um, but the automakers have definitely met the future, and the future is kicking their butt right now. So right. they're big enough and and cash rich enough that, and I think now with new generations of leadership to start to hopefully not just emulate and follow what Elon Musk is doing, but to see this not as his tactics, but see this as the new world order and start to change how they manage their companies yep. to adapt to that. Well said. Speaking of Walmart, Farshad said, Walmart circular cash flow. Uh, as we're <laughs> talking, isn't that <laughs> what it right. is? We pay you. We You pay us to pay you. <laughs> right. Um. All right, and I got a couple of comments that we're not going to be able to get to because okay, we got to get one more story in uh, yeah. and and try to finish on time here today. So we were just talking about Tesla and Tesla uh, just having one heck of a of a fourth quarter, but one heck of a six quarter straight. It's kind of like the Alabama story, uh, you know, as a, we're all green with envy. But up next, Greg, our last story is on catalytic converters now this is something we we chatted about it's probably been about i don't know six eight months ago maybe a year ago um mm -hmm. and um the key learning here great key learning is folks you got to bring your cars and trucks into that garage and lock the door right you got to have titanium garage doors you got to protect those catalytic converters because as the ap is reporting converter thefts are getting worse and worse they continue to get worse so for two years now, Greg, thefts are on the rise as criminals are stealing them, right, snipping them right out of a, a transmission so they can sell them to scrapyards for somewhere, uh, according to this article uh, from the AP, 
between $50 and $300, probably depending on yep. just how good of a negotiator and a criminal, uh, how, how good of a criminal enterprise you're running, maybe, Greg. <laughs> right. Now, why are they doing that? Well, it's back to these precious metals, right, that we've talked about before, right? Demand is high, supply is low, and those will go into the converters to clean the emissions that the converters, the whole reason that the converters are there in the first place. Platinum, palladium, rhodium, all these words I hadn't said since my ninth grade <laughs> chemistry class. Those right. are really precious metals. So let's look at the data for a second here. 2021, so the 2021 theft numbers aren't out yet. We just wrapped up the year, right? But the National Insurance Crime Bureau showed just about 3,389 thefts of these catalytic converters for 2019. Greg, write that down. In, 20, in 2020, it jumped to more than 14,000 thefts of the converters. And we're probably going to see a significant increase once the numbers come out for 2021. And as we know, that's not going to be an all-inclusive number. So here's the thing. It's about 1000 bucks or so to replace your catalytic converter, I think, roughly. But far mm -hmm. more damaging, you know, they were talking about church buses in the article that have to sit for six weeks because of just right. being able to get it and get it installed. Uh, based on how busy all the all these uh, car rep repair places are, just just lack of supply. So, Greg, I got to ask you: you got your catalytic converter locked up there as you survey the the scene there on the coast. And what say you about uh, th this converter crime syndicate in general? Yeah, I I can't believe it's gotten as bad as it's gotten, but uh, it's it's incredible, isn't it? I mean, I can imagine a scenario where somebody goes to a junkyard. And they wind up buying back their own catalytic converter. <laughs> so this is the part of the exhaust system that takes out all the, the toxics, toxic gases, right. or as many as, as many as we can before it goes out the exhaust pipe into the environment. So um, it's and it's required by law to have it on your vehicle. And um, so you, technically you can't drive. I'm sure there are lots of people that do drive. I know there are people that bypass it, blah, blah, blah. But but um, yeah, it's unfathomable to me that this is a thing. And the advice that the article gives is um, have it engraved, right? Stolen from First Baptist Church of Marietta or whatever, right? Um, and and you can put plates over it. So now you have to secure something that's on the outside of your vehicle. I'm fortunate to be able to park my vehicles inside. Um, but I mean, I just can't imagine that this is a thing, right? Right. It's crazy. Um, it is. And, but they're doing some things and the article goes into this. They're doing some things like they have done with pawn shops where you have to register who you got it from. You have to see their ID and you have to register who you got a catalytic converter from. Um, and if you're caught, the, the presumption that they're making is kind of like the federal government, U S federal government is making about the Xinjiang province. If you can't prove you did it legitimately, it is assumed that you did it illegally and you will be charged. So I think that's that's an important step because what's happening is a lot of these salvage yards and used part places, they are they're just throwing their hands up and saying, We don't know, we didn't know it was stolen. Right. Well they they know they're being stolen because in the same article they talk about the fact that one of these junkyards takes the catalytic converters out of all the vehicles that they receive and puts them into a locked steel cage box right 
so that they can't be stolen off of their premises. So they're, they're, you know, we just have to create a situation where you are assumed to be non-compliant unless you are compliant, kind of like we ought to do, by the way, with sustainability. Um, and, and that will solve the problem. Right. Because if there's nowhere to sell these things, there's no reason to steal them. But can't you imagine grandma can't get to church because the church bus can't come pick her up? Right. How tragic is that? <laughs> well, um, fascinating times we live in, uh, and we'll see, hopefully we can, we can take some preventive measures to, to, uh, to, um, shut down this criminal industry, but we'll see. Um, by the way, I love Josh and Matus is talking about the computer chips industry in different countries and, and maybe why is Tesla not insourcing that just yet? Uh, we'll have to save on that discussion for next time. Um, Matus says, the Cadillac one is great. I sold my old hobby car converter for more than the whole car. How about that? Wow. What, so, Matus, tell us what the, that hobby car was. Tell us what uh, make and model that was. Um, so there is a point in a car's life cycle where the individual parts are worth more than the whole of the car. That's called parting out. I'm sure lots of people have seen that. Right. And you can take the car apart and sell it to a junkyard for more than you could if you if you sold them the whole car. Mm. So excellent, excellent point. Uh, let's see. <laughs> uh, Cargo Margo is back with us. She says hello from Los Angeles, tuned in via LinkedIn. Great. No to see snow you. in Los Angeles. <laughs> I guarantee it. No snow. No snow there. Um, and Anthony, hey, you, you, man, you asked some great questions here today. He says, Anthony says, is there a way of tracking those catalytic converters techno uh, technologically? There must be some chips or code to detect inventory analysis tools, he says. You well, know, that's an excellent point because this is a $1,000 piece of equipment. So it would make economic sense to chip it. Right. Right. Um, and I'm sure that there is, and that probably will be coming. It'll, it'll take some kind of legislation probably to make that happen. But yeah. Most definitely. That's right. That's a great idea. Excellent. Anthony, keep coming. Keep coming back. We love you on our live streams. I've really enjoyed your questions here and comments here I today. I still think, you know, just engraving it with stolen from Anthony Duega. <laughs> right. right. Like the tags that your mom Here's my, yeah. <laughs> used to put on your shirts yeah. or something. Hey, yes, exactly. <laughs> Jose Montoya is with us here today. Hello, Greg and Scott from Southern California. Jose, you're keeping up the, the, um, logistics and coffee live streams have enjoyed that i tuned into one uh i think the day or two before christmas and enjoyed uh your conversation there so great to have you here today jason says hey thanks guys for the insights love to have you back greg so jason's <laughs> inviting you back greg so you have to join us again next monday <laughs> thanks jason <laughs> <laughs> matus jason great to have you here and, and good luck to yeah. your alabama football team matus oh, says yeah. it was an old, an old football old. The car was about 150 bucks. The converter alone was about 200 bucks. How about that? Yeah, Opal. Um, God, let's look that up. You used to see a lot of those cars in Eastern Europe. Opals. I cannot remember where they're from, but um, they had some cute looking little. They had one model that looked like a Chevy Vega. Really, I recall that. Yeah, I don't remember what it was, but well, I'm gonna have to look that yeah. up after we wrap yeah, today. Me too. Um, but nevertheless, uh, folks, I tell you, y'all brought it today and I couldn't get to a lot of the comments and questions. really enjoyed that. Uh, Greg, always a pleasure to work through yeah, likewise. 
the biggest, some of the biggest stories of uh, industry uh, every Monday at 12 noon Eastern time. Uh, so Greg, if you had it here, we're in the third day of 2022. I'm going to surprise you with a question here. A third day of 2022. So you got, you got, uh, you got your, a, uh, you can choose a or B a, what is one new year's resolution that you'd like to share with folks here or B what's one challenge you'd like to throw out there to folks that maybe still be looking at identifying some of their personal challenges for 2022 or professional challenges. Golly, your final challenge is the only one I would throw out there. I don't really do formally do um, um, a New Year's resolution. I try to think of every day as an opportunity to start a new year. It's just the start of another 12 months. This one just happens to come at, at an arbitrary date that we have <laughs> snagged out of, right, and called it a year. Um, but, um, gosh, I, you know, I think the, the most important um, thing I'm really, I'd really like to see people do now is, is uh, while you give forward and other things Scott's going to say later, live for yourself. Um, you know, you are the most important person that you can support on this planet. And if you ever only support yourself, if you ever only do that, just consider that a service to society. I mean, you don't have to be supported by anybody else at the very least if you do that. But boy, if you can also share that uplift with someone else, it is so much more rewarding. Did you know, Scott, that 70% of people are more excited about getting or giving gifts than they are about getting them during the holidays? So um, I would encourage people to do that. Give when you can. Damn, it feels so good. It does. That You know, you don't give till it hurts. You give till it feels good. And what's beautiful about it is any amount of giving feels good. I agree with you. And I did not know that that trivial factoid, but it doesn't surprise me because I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I think you're geared similarly. I love to give much rather than get gifts. I hate yeah. opening gifts, especially in front of people. I like just to give. That, that makes your heart just beam, right? Um, so on that note, folks, you got to find a way to give. You got to find a way to help others. Uh, it's a tough time for a lot of folks right now, right? Despite some of the gains we've made and, and um, you know, still find a way to practically help someone else, right? And, and practice, as we all try to do every day, extra empathy, right? Extra empathy every day. Uh, so, Greg, always a pleasure uh, to do this with Likewise. you. I'm excited about what, what we are cooking up here in 2022 as we continue to grow. Uh, launching some new series right around the corner. So uh, looking forward to doing that. Uh, Greg, looking forward to our webinars. Frankly, we've got a couple some outstanding events here in January. Folks, again, thanks for tuning in. Really appreciate all the, the perspective. Y'all keep it coming. But most importantly, if you do anything here today or pick up anything here today or hear it or share it with others, do this. Do good. Give forward. Be the change that's needed. And on that note, we'll see you next time right back here at Supply Chain Now. Happy New Year, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.